Welcome to the Curious Competitor Podcast. I am your host, Connor Carrick, a professional hockey player and podcaster by trade, a curious learner by choice. Together, we will investigate career design. How successful can I become in sport? And with what quality of life alongside this goal can I experience? The four areas of focus on this podcast are physical expression, mental athleticism, spiritual growth, and experiential wisdom. Thank you for joining me. Hi, everyone. We have our first and initial sponsor to announce. It is ConnorCarrick.com, my own website. Uh, I talked with myself and we were able to come to an agreement on this. We are offering uh, Designs for Sport supplements. I am on the Designs for Sport board. I have talked about uh, my other social media channels and also here on the podcast. Uh, my love for supplementation, why I think it's such a, uh, there, there's such a need for it in today's uh, food market and particularly in, in my positioning as an athlete. Uh, a lot of our food today due to soil depletion is simply lacking in nutrients. A piece of broccoli or an apple today does not provide the nutritional punch it did uh, 50 years ago. And it, we, we don't need to get into necessarily whose fault that is, but as an athlete and a person uh, avid about pursuing better health in, in the pursuit of uh, better health, I simply want to fill the gaps and kind of figure out who done it later. Um, also, an uncertain schedule as an athlete is something uh, I've dealt with really since I was 15, uh, as I went on to the national team development program, consistent travel, uh, inconsistent uh, food availability. Um, so that kind of helps me hit both my uh, micronutrient and macronutrient goals when I am supplementing properly. Huge decision-making factor as a consumer is I want to know for sure that what I'm buying is as advertised. Designs for Sport offers premium ingredients and maybe more importantly, just so you don't have uh, a negative drug test or I guess a positive drug test. Uh, everything is NSF certified, which is kind of the gold standard, really the only standard for professional athletes that comes right from uh, the NHLPA and their doctors that uh, the only supplements you should be taking should have that NSF logo. And then uh, kind of the final piece that really put me over the top in terms of my love affair with designs for sports supplements is the use of glass. Uh, I don't like touching plastic. I don't like my food being in plastic. I don't like my pills being in plastic. Uh, and it helps with our, you know, plastic waste and things like that. And it's simply another sign that designs for sport uh, is really paying attention to the details. So with that said, uh, designs for sport offers uh, all their supplements uh, mostly through avenues like this, through certified ambassadors. So I'm very proud uh, to be a part of their team. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Curious Competitor Podcast. I'm your host today, current professional hockey player, Connor Carrick. I'm here with Sylvie Tatro, working on my French today. Uh, Sylvie is a holistic nutritionist and strength coach. I first became familiar with Sylvie um, when I was tr playing uh, for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, Sylvia has worked alongside hand in hand with Gary Roberts, who, you know, is a, is a huge name in the hockey world in general and definitely in, in strength conditioning. Um, Sylvia, what's it been like, you know, working with and for Gary, you guys have built a, a monster of a brand um, with, you know, great success with a lot of really high end athletes uh, for how long has, has Gary been doing this now? So Gary's been at it for, he was actually doing it while he was still playing. So he started with like Steve Stamkos and a couple other guys in his, in his home, training them in the summer. Yeah. While he was still playing, he met, he met Steven in Tampa and 
I guess uh, Stephen was struggling with his size and kind of, you know, what every 18 year old who's drafted into the NHL struggles with um, getting their place on the NHL team. So um, they asked Gary to, to help out and Gary kind of became a mentor for him. And it's kind of, I think that was 14 years ago. Um, wow. So he's been training him since he was 18. And then I came in, it's actually my 10th summer working with Gary, well, which sounds really crazy. Mark. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I came in about 10 years ago. So um, Gary had already been so passionate due to his own personal experience of coming back from a neck injury that was basically and going to end his career at the time and did for a short period of time. Uh, and he came back due to his lifestyle changes and strength training, changing the way that he ate his whole lifestyle. So uh, yeah, so that's, that was his passion. And I, uh, I kind of came in about 10 years ago and, and kind of piggybacked on that whole philosophy. And I am not a hockey player. I didn't play hockey growing up. Um, I loved it. I'm from Nova Scotia. So how can you not? Um but I was a figure skater. I knew, I knew how to skate, but women's hockey was not really a thing when I was growing up. So um, I probably would have played, but I played other, every other sport um, and I never really intended to to end up working primarily in the sport of hockey, but here I am. <laughs> yeah. I ask about Gary and, and I understand, you know, I want to make this, this podcast uh, about you. If I ever want to have Gary on, I'll ask him. But like one of the things I was impressed with even in the short time, because uh, the Seattle Kraken hired Gary as a consultant. And, you know, I've thought, I, I've been through a lot of different training programs. Uh, I've tried a lot of different uh, nutritional tips and programs on for size. And like, I think that that consistent execution and like the, the focus that is encouraged within the culture is what's most important, you know, that intent piece. Uh, is really what drives results. And I noticed in even a, a short period with Gary, like uh, great intensity in the moment, focus on what you're doing. Um, and he really loves it in, a, in an enthusiastic way that he is going to draw you into the fight, whether you really want to train or eat well or not. Um, yeah. you know, I was able to share a couple lunches with him and um, you know, he wouldn't stop raving about you know, the energy giving nature of the salad he was eating. And, uh, you know, even during training camp, the workouts are, you know, pretty small in size and duration. Right. But if we were going to do three sets of three, uh, you know, RFE back squats, he wanted them to be with some pace. And, and I was impressed with that. Yeah, absolutely. He's, um, he's definitely an intense person and always for sure you experience that. Um, but that's what, that's what makes him who he is. And it's funny because you know, he's been called obsessive and, you know, extreme and all those words. And it's when you work with athletes, you kind of realize that those are those are really positive things at the end of the day. Right. So, I mean, they obviously can, you know, have some negative um, uh, qualities, too. But when it comes to, you know, being totally dialed into something like Gary completely lives what he talks about. Yeah. And I think that that's, you know, a very important quality. If you want to play at the level that you guys play at, I mean, you know, you, you live, <laughs> live this lifestyle as well. And it's, it's not easy because there's a ton of temptations. The lifestyle itself is hard on you and hard on your body um, with the travel and the lack of sleep and the time away from your family and, you know, additional stressors. So Gary definitely, you know, is, 
so intense, but it, it also comes with so much, so many positive attributes too, because he wouldn't be, you know, where he was and he probably wouldn't have been able to come back from that major injury and play another 12 years in the NHL if he hadn't had that determination and intensity because he was told he wasn't going to play again. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, so he definitely has that, you know, if he says he's going to do something, he does it. And I always, he always jokes that I like, and I don't know if this is a good thing that I like soften him up in a lot of ways because he is so intense because he'll go in to, you know, talk to junior athletes. And um, there's this one situation where he like was talking about how he brings a, ba- a baggie of Himalayan pink salt with him everywhere and like sprinkles it in his water for some like electrolytes and, and salt replacement after sweating. And uh, the 16 year olds are looking at him like, what is this guy talking about? <laughs> um, because it's just like he, to him, that's normal. And he actually has two boys and they play at a high level of hockey. Like his oldest is actually um, playing with the Hamilton Bulldogs right now. And he he's, uh, you know, and they know that about him. But other 16 year olds are like, wow, this guy is like telling me to bring around a salt baggie with me <laughs> so it's uh it's a great quality but I always joke with him I'm like like let's like start with some foundational stuff and he's like yeah yeah like I just they're doing that stuff I'm like they're not necessarily doing that <laughs> he, he might he sometimes forgets what it's like to you know be a be a 16 year old who is getting this information for the first time uh because he came to it at like age 30 so yeah. um there was yeah, a there was a, Gary, there was a Gary quote that I you know, have referenced a couple of times was, uh, you know, senses, uh, part-time effort, you know, leads to part-time results. I love that, um, and yeah. I really like that. And I, you know, I, I think when it comes down to, to Gary, it really does equate to like, what kind of career experience do you want to have? Um, you know, I think Gary would be a very intimidating librarian, uh, but for a 20 year NHL and, and business entrepreneur now in the strength and conditioning world, like all very uh, intense, high energy, uh, activation energy demands, um, you know, he, he has the right makeup for that. And, and clearly it's led to, to his success. But I, I want to transition to you mentioned some of the foundational habits. And I think I have, you know, a version of you know, what I consider like 90 second nutrition advice, uh, that, that keeps me on the straight and narrow for the vast majority of time. Um, and really what first peaked my ear about strength training and, and nutrition was I had never met a player or read a story about a player that invested in this realm of their life that traded it back. They said, you know what? I don't, I actually don't like this. Um, I'd rather not train again. I felt better when I didn't train. I'd rather eat like, you know, kind of a standard Western diet. I don't want to say eat like crap, but a standard Western diet. I had more energy when I was doing the, you know, the goldfish for snacks and pizza at dinner and, and that kind of thing. And I think it was Duncan Keith originally, he said, you know, there are two very easy ways to play poorly in hockey. And one is to be injured and the other is to be sick. And when you're going to go through, you know, 80 to hundred game seasons, it's a marathon. And when you want to do it for five, 10, 15 years, as you know, us pros want to, uh, you got to be built for the long haul. You really got to take take responsibility for your resiliency. So if I were to challenge you with a sort of 90 second nutrition talk for that 16 year old athlete, what would it sound like? Yeah, absolutely. So I have a um, nutrition hierarchy that I go through and it starts with like with real quality high with real quality whole foods. So what that means is, you know, let's get the majority of your diet to be fruits and vegetables, protein and healthy fats. 
give them a foundation of what those foods are. So foods that don't have a you know nutrition label, very easy, basic stuff. So starting with that, that first pillar, get that down. The next one is health focused nutrition. So what does that mean? That means optimizing things like gastrointestinal health, immune health, things that are actually going to drive your performance as an athlete. So looking into, okay, like how do I sleep every day? How do I produce my energy? How do, how are my bowel movements? Those things that people might not necessarily love talking, but health foundational principles next. Then we go to the, you know, what I call sexy stuff, which is performance nutrition. That's what people want to talk about. How do I perform and what do I eat to perform? Well, once you have that health down, you can get into some of the fancy stuff of like having enough energy on the ice. What do you need to eat before workout, after workout, during workout? You know, what do you need to do to optimize that high intensity training that you're doing. So that's the sexy stuff. And then you get into, okay, what supplements can I take? And that's also part of that. You know, people think performance and supplements are the two top things you need to start with. And really you need to start with those bottom things and they will feed what you can do with the other two pillars at the top, which is performance, nutrition, and supplementation. I like that. I like so that. yeah, it just comes down to, you know, let's, let's, get really good at those basics and why it's a pyramid I, I show people is that you have to have these in order to get to the top uh, because you can take all the supplements you want. And we're going to talk about that. Um, it will only do so much if you don't have the other foundationals down. Yeah. I've tried to, what are some of the habits, right? Cause as an athlete, that's what I want. I want systems that chronically provide seamless or almost effortless results, right? We, we go to the gym you pour it all out. Uh, you go to practice, you pour it all out. Um, I, I personally, especially now with a one-year-old in the house, I'm trying to think of how can I continuously automate, um, you know, my results without becoming an efficiency robot, frankly, but, uh, like things I've, I've been curious about is I've never really been a meal prep guy. I think this, you know, kind of might be the summer, uh, to really do that, I think a, a cooking course or at least a knife skills course has to be on my docket. So like how creative will you be in helping your, and let's focus on the, let's call it the 16 to the 30 year old athlete, uh, maybe single, maybe in a married relationship where they have, you know, a significant other who's a little bit more adept in the, in the kitchen, things like that. Um, but what are some of these core abilities that allow for nutritional expression to be a little easier because eating out all the time is just, it's, it's expensive uh, financially for sure. And you know, you know, restaurants for the most part are, are going to have to just with profit margins in mind, you know, take shortcuts. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the reality of kind of living that, that athlete lifestyle. Right. So um, where I always start with athletes is like really getting to know them as an individual and what is actually doable for them. So I'm not going to throw you know, a crazy preparation plan at an athlete who currently eats every single meal out. That would not be realistic. So meeting somewhere in between, it might be meaning, you know, finding restaurants. And I do this all the time for my athletes, finding places that, you know, are kind of on the healthier side. They might not be ticking every single box that we're looking for, but at least kind of following some of those. So I'll actually do the research for the person if they're a client of mine. Um, also meal delivery companies, you know, mm -hmm. kind of meeting them in between. So it's like, okay, let's do some of this. Um, and then I find when you start to do that, they're like, well, this is easy to make at home. If I'm going and getting this bowl with chicken and, you know, 
um, roasted sweet potato and veggies like Chipotle, for example, which I think is like, you know, actually a great option if you're on the run and they use quality protein, you can get veggies, you get your carbohydrates. Um, So it's it's actually a good option, but people look at it and they're like, well, actually, I could probably make this at home. So once you start to do that, um, you know, it's helping them to have those basics down and then, you know, okay, let's like, how do, how do we roast sweet potatoes? You know, how do we <laughs> prep some chicken, throwing it in something like an instant pot where you can literally make it in 20 minutes, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So finding these ways that are, you know, affordable for them as the athlete based on what their situation is, um, seeing what support they have. So who cook, who's cooking the meals, who's prepping the meals, what environment are they in? So are they in an environment where they're with, you know, they're in college and they're with a what, bunch of other dorm, <laughs> dorm mates and, they have to adjust to that as well. So it's all about the individual and meeting them um, where they're at, but also pushing those boundaries a bit to, to be like, you know, this can be a little bit easier than you might think. Um, and then always having, you know, on the on the go options and knowing like, okay, these are my top five restaurants when I'm on the run that I can, you know, know I can at least get like a bowl that that would be providing me with those things that I need for performance. So it's never perfect when you're when you're on on the road traveling that type of thing but at least meeting them where they're at and giving them some tools and teaching them and educating them on how they could implement that you know a little easier at home um, and with the support of whoever's around them their parents girlfriends um, you know other other dorm mates whoever it is yeah I had this conversation with my wife recently you know we're doing some evaluating around uh, energy expenditure around the house and you know, whose roles are what. And she's by far, she grew up in the family, uh, you know, with a chef in the, in the restaurant business. Uh, she's phenomenal in the kitchen. We align, you know, very similarly in terms of our nutritional goals. I've gotten a little macronutrient obsessed before and that would drive her nuts. Cause she would be, you know, culinarily <laughs> trying I'm not to express. This, no, <laughs> I know. I know. And I had to, you know, kind of reevaluate where uh, the obsession was sort of undermining me. But we had this discussion like one night a week We're I'm going to have to, we're going to have to do some simple meals uh, and Connor's going to take over because I'm going to have to start dinner at three 30, make sure it's ready by six. Cause I'm a little slow. Um, but as a family, like this is the best way that I don't get left behind in terms of my ability to provide nutrition for our family. Because if you always do it, I'll never learn. And you know, so totally. kind of our, longevity plan is to include me in the, in the cooking. And then we've both committed to some simpler meals, at least one night a week and, and have myself step in. Yeah. And it, and it's tough because, you know, especially when you're eating out all the time, like it doesn't have to be these extravagant meals that mm-hmm. you would get at a restaurant. That's what restaurants are for. And if you want that experience, you can get that out. But you know, like my, my diet and um, the diet that I recommend for most of my athletes is pretty simple. It's just getting, you know, getting what you need and trying to get as much variety as you can within those um, parameters of what's going to help you perform. So what are, what are some staples in your fridge and, and cupboard and things like that? What are some nutritional, um, you know, favorites, combinations that you have? Yeah, absolutely. So I, uh, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just a basics, a basic cook cook. I wouldn't even call myself a chef, but I am pretty basic in the kitchen, but I do love um, creating healthy versions of everything. So I'll always have my, like my protein list where, you know, sometimes it means I get a rotisserie chicken from Whole Foods and that's, you know, I, I make several different meals out of that mm-hmm. or I'll do my own, um, 
you know, chicken in either instant pot or slow cooker, where essentially I'm just putting it in and I can use that shredded, um, shredded chicken for wraps and whatever it is. Um, salmon, I'm from the East Coast, so I always have, you know, fish is a huge staple in my diet. Um, my partner, Adrian, he's, uh, he's cel- his family celiac, so we do eat gluten-free, um, oh, especially in the home. That. Yeah, yeah. So it's, uh, it's, you know, having like gluten-free options. So we do like eat some gluten-free bread every once in a while and like, you know, have sweet potatoes and potatoes and um, some basmati rice. So we have like all our carbs kind of covered from that perspective that are gluten-free and then um, a ton of different vegetables. So I, uh, I'm fortunate to order a Mama Earth box, which essentially is just like organic CSA that's in the area. And um, it helps me to get variety. So I'm like, wow, I wouldn't have chose rutabaga to cook with this week, but I'm going to try it out. And so I'll look up recipes. Um, and then I also have some, you know, dairy options in that. So like sheep's yogurt, I love buffalo yogurt. Um, if I can go to the farmer's market, I will. And I'll support, you know, local farms with that as well. Um, but yeah, those are the staples. So just a ton of vegetables and variety, your carbohydrate sources, and then I'll have different sources of, uh, of protein as well. So I kind of get, when I give recipe lists or grocery lists, I just get athletes to break it down in those and say, okay, you can make like four different meals out of that. You know, maybe not for you guys, it's mm-hmm. maybe two meals out of a chicken, but <laughs> yeah. um, you know what I mean? Like you can get, uh, you can get a lot of different options. We do make bone broth too, like on a weekly basis. So we'll save the bones from the chicken and, and just boil it with, you know, things like uh, celery, carrots, turmeric, ginger, and we'll have that throughout the week as like a warm drink. So yeah, just things like that are always staples in, in our place. But like I said, I love this stuff. So Adrian's pretty, uh, <laughs> he'll get in the kitchen too, but he's, uh, he's always saying it like, yeah, I definitely have like a nutritionist who, uh, who can make all these things and prepare it. But I do enjoy it a lot. Well, like it's funny how you both have system systematized how to, you know, improve your nutrition. Um, you know, Adrian just made sure his partner was super into it. And then, you know, you have the CSA and the different, <laughs> you know, subscriptions and things like that. That's been a huge help. We try to do that in the summer too. Uh, I've also done, you know, we've done butcher box where they'll send you different cuts of beef and that's kind of nice. Yeah, we do true local. So same thing. Perfect. Here. Even, even better. Um, I remember I, I got to get back to, we didn't really have the freezer space there for a bit, but you know, like a huge nutritional goal of mine was in, include organ meats in my diet. It's just not something I grew up cooking with and, and you won't see it all on a lot of North American menus. Uh, there was like a ground beef blend that I was having sense of the house. That was great. We'll have to get that going again. Yeah, um, that's that's so huge, Connor. I just want to say, like, uh, on my performance foods list, which again, performance foods could be but several things. It like organ meats are on there, and I have to try to be like, okay, this is how you can incorporate it, um, because it's like basically like nature's multivitamin. Mm-hmm. There's literally everything in there, and it's so amazing for athletes because of the iron and and um, like B12, all of those vitamins that you need high amounts of. Um, you're getting that in liver and organ meats, so. You mentioned two things that, and, and I, I want to maybe address some of the conversation that comes up from like the, the biohacking community, right? So you mentioned dairy being a part of your diet, uh, gluten for the most part, not, um, why do those two, uh, food types, uh, 
you know, foods containing those two items get a lot of attention? And how do you guide your clients through those conversations? Yeah, absolutely. It's so tricky because, you know, nutrition is so individualized. Um, but in our food system, we've noticed a change in, in things like dairy and gluten over the years where we're finding just a lot more people are sensitive to it. You know, celiac disease was not as popular as it was as it is now 30 years ago. And so, you know, if we look at maybe the trends of what's happened, our food system has changed, um, whether it's even just a an issue with the the chemicals that are sprayed on it. So Roundup yeah. is, is a very common one that's sprayed on wheat products when we're talking about gluten. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's based on the individual. I mean, it's become very popular for everyone to kind of eat that way, but if you don't have an intolerance to it, um, which you would, you know, you can get it tested through certain, certain stool tests. Um, there's some that I do where if athletes do want to look specifically into food intolerances, I won't just look at blood analysis in terms of like food intolerance through blood, because that could show up for a lot of different reasons and inflammation in the gut. But I try to look at gut health as well. So unless you full on notice that you have certain symptoms that pop up after you eat it, um, you know, you don't necessarily have to go completely dairy and gluten free mm -hmm. um, for those individuals that know that they have a problem with it. So, for instance, you know, even skin stuff that pops up. So I know for me, if I eat like a ton of ice cream or something like okay, my face will be like, oh, I didn't like that at all. Mm -hmm. um, so it just depends on the individual. But I do find that, unfortunately, the quality of it has decreased over time. Um, and that people just become way more sensitive to it. So um, I do recommend, you know, going gluten free to try out if people are having gastrointestinal issues, you know, if there's things that come up that are unexplained of like certain symptoms, um, it can be a good thing to try an elimination diet to see if that would make a difference. And like I said, I do use functional testing in my practice as well to see if we can dig a little bit deeper into gut health and, and why that might be coming up. Um, but quality is everything. So if you're eating like a quality sourdough and it has gluten in it, you don't have a problem with gluten. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that works for you. So, and same thing with dairy. Like I, I prefer to do sheep and buffalo and goat um, over cow, just based on the fact that it's, you know, way, way less widely um, uh contaminated essentially so like dealing with all of the <laughs> all of the issues that were kind of uh speeding up the process of animal production and and dairy and and meat so when we do that we can compromise the quality so quality if you can get quality products and it's either you know full cow goat buffalo sheep those like whatever it is um it has so many good nutrients in it that if you can get get it from the real source, you don't necessarily have to go completely dairy dairy free if it's not it's not what your body needs. Very nice. Um, I also want to talk about uh, fasting. Have you had any athletes look into fasting, use fasting successfully? What are some of the dangers of fasting? I know I personally I had a a, a perfect cocktail going for really poor athletic results. I am highly caffeine sensitive. So I would just dump caffeine. I'm a huge coffee lover. Anyone who follows me on Instagram knows that, uh, I would extend a fast in the morning. So I would continue, continue to spike cortisol that way and then not eat until, you know, post-practice sometimes as late as, you know, two, two thirty PM and then have a huge uh, energy crash thereafter. Um, Testosterone was plummeting after doing some testing. And, and this was all off of 
you know, good faith, goodwill. I, I, I thought I had, you know, researched some information that might help me. I had, um, some body, uh, image and, and density goals. I'm, I'm a thicker cut person. Um, I wanted to try to become, you know, lighter to, to match a faster game and, and thought that that would be uh, the way to do it. But really I just felt, uh, light and weak and, and slow. And, uh, you know, my personal life struggled because I was, you know, frankly, a stressed out hot yeah, mess. I was, I was, a, I was a creature of cortisol. And, yeah. yeah. I was hangry all the time. <laughs> um, but have you seen it used successfully and, and kind of how do you help, you know, guide your clients through that conversation? Yeah, absolutely. I, um, it's, it is a tough one because it's so popular and the research that, you know, is coming out is very positive in terms of its benefits. Um, but context is everything and athletes uh, do not always fit into those molds of this is going to be beneficial for you. So when you think of athletes, you know, the majority of what they're doing is managing their stress load. So it means like the majority of their stress is coming from uh, from exercise, right? So the amount of training that they're doing. And so exercise is a, is a version of stress. It's mm. a, it can be a positive stress. It can also be a negative stress. And we get into situations of overtraining and under recovering. So fasting is also a stress. So when we look at fasting for athletes, you know, context is everything. So doing it during a season when your body is meant to perform and you have all these other stressors, it's, you know, lack, you're in it right now, lack of sleep, traveling, um, and then games, mental stress from the games and performance, like the amount of stress. I always say that in season is about just mitigating stress the whole time and stress resilience. And what can we do to, you know, recovery is essentially dealing with that amount of stress. So, um, so it really comes down to, you know, what is the context like in season? I, I would not recommend it just based off of the demands. I mean, your schedule right now, it's like you, you just mentioned like back to back games playing two, two out of three days. Like the, the body doesn't have time to recover from that physical stress. So if you're adding something like fasting where the body is going through a, a version of stress from not eating, um, it's just going to add to those symptoms and you name them all like you're getting, you know, hormonal, <laughs> hormonal disturbances, you know, um, the hunger hormones are going to be all over the place as well, not just sex hormones. Um, also, you know, when it comes to performance, um, whether like <laughs> whether your body's able to perform under those stressful situations is going to be up for debate. Um, you know, it, it will affect your social life when you, you know, you're asked to go out to eat and you're like, I'm just going to have the water. Um, you know, yeah. it's, it's not always good. So that being said, you know, there are specific situations where it might make sense. And, and I have, you know, seen it make sense to a modified version for an individual. So um, this particular athlete that I'm talking about, wanted to work on body composition. We were in the off season. We were managing the amount of load that he had from a training perspective. Um, and we were making sure that in that eating window that he was getting what he needed to recover. And it didn't necessarily mean it was 16-8. There's actually a really funny um, yeah, background story of the 16-8 window and why it's so popular. Have you heard that no. before? So the, the study that actually became so popular from the 16-8 fasting protocol was because one of the members of the lab had to be home during a certain amount of time to be with his family. So they went with eight hour um, testing window and then 16 hour fast so that he could be home in those hours. So they picked a, a number and kind of have supported it with, with research in terms of like the AMPK benefits and like apoptosis and yeah. all of that. Um, 
So it's like, it's not a science in terms of the exact number that people wow. should fast to get results. And so I thought that was just fascinating. Like it's not actually um, just that number that you're going to magically get the, the best results within a 16-8 window. So my point to that is you can get benefits from even a 12 and 12 as an athlete. Mm -hmm. So what that means is like 12 hours of not eating and like a great context for that is in the off season when I'm trying to work on some gastrointestinal support and, you know, giving their body a break from eating constantly because in the season, like, like I said, you have to eat constantly to recover, to perform. You have to have your body ready for that high intensity activity. So in the off season, it can be an opportunity to give your body a little break. Um, so it just depends on the protocol, but Fasting can be so many different things to an individual. Like I said, it could just be 12 hours of not eating. Um, you know, you can get results with, with that period, or it could mean a 14 hour and we're just managing the amount that they're getting in, um, in their eating windows. So, um, the way not to do it is probably how you tried it is just to, yeah. you know, go as go long all as I out. possibly could. I'd press the fast app and it was a game. It was like, you know, how uh, long can I go? Yeah. Oh yeah, I've been there. I try, I try everything on myself too. And I've been there. And as a woman too, it like, and female athletes, like it can be very different just because of your cycle and, yeah. and things that happen hormonally, it can be harder on a woman's system. And also, you know, I can speak to this, your body's meant as a woman for reproduction. And so you need to hold on to more fat. You need to actually not go into as much of a starvation state as much as maybe a man could handle. So context is everything. Um, I use nutrition periodization. So different periods of time mean different interventions for nutrition and recovery. So what that means is, you know, like I said, in season, I would not do something like a fasting <laughs> protocol um, because the, the goals are very different. Whereas off season, you know, if someone has a body composition goal, there's so many other ways to do it other than fasting. Um, but if that individual wants to try a modified version of it and we're monitoring those other parameters, like their training, their recovery, what they're eating in their eating window, um, what other stress load they have on their system. Um, if we're monitoring all those things, it could be a beneficial um, intervention. Yeah, I like that. Let's talk a little bit about that kind of the cyclical nature of an athlete. Because when I think of, you know, the 12-month the calendar, we'll be coming up on it soon. And I know a lot of uh, younger players listening to this are already in their offseason. There's, there's the beginning of the offseason. Off um, I call it postseason. Postseason, yep. Because <laughs> like, uh, there's like you know that period. We'll we'll talk about it, but yeah. And then there's the you know training starts to ramp up. Usually it's a it's a little bit mellower in the beginning of the summer. And you can even talk about you know with your background or strength as a strength coach why that's important, not just to go you know for lack of a better term balls to the wall right away. Um, then there's the on ice introduction generally for hockey players. You know May June. Uh, for some of your younger players, some of your old school hockey players, if you talk to Gary, it might be August, you know, 15th for a September 1st training <laughs> camp, right? Yeah, the glory still, days. Still for sure. And then camp time, uh, some of the, the meat of the season, let's call it, and then playoffs. And then usually in there, you have to enter some sort of injury protocol. So I know there's a lot in there, but um, yeah. when you kind of look at the 12 month calendar, uh, you know, mesocycle of your, I don't even know if that's long enough to be considered a mesocycle, but how do you, you know, kind of project things out on a, on a general scheme? I know every athlete's, you know, individual, um, you know, but, but how you kind of enter in this, uh, conversation. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, let's start with like just defining 
like training periodization and what that means for people who might not know, because we'll talk about nutrition periodization. So training periodization is um, a term that's used for different phases of training for athletes specifically. doesn't need to be just for athletes. Most people need to be in different phases of training. Um, but it's, you know, what happens in season versus off season is going to be different. And then, like you just mentioned, all those phases in between. So what happens a lot of the time is people are aware, especially athletes of the training periodization. So what they need to be doing for each phase uh, for training. Uh, but the nutrition doesn't always match what the training mm-hmm. periodization looks like. So when it comes to my interventions that I do, it really comes down to, you know, obviously individual approach as much as possible. But with a lot of my junior athletes, I don't get to do as much of an individual stuff. So we basically just go with major themes of the time of year. So I'll focus more on that. Um, so basically, we start with, you know, the, the. do you want to start with in-season? Yeah, we can start sense? with the in-season. Okay. So when we get we look at in-season, you mentioned like ramping up for camp. Um, I'll talk about that with the off-season, but we have camp, which is very physically demanding. Your nervous system is on high alert when it comes to, you know, preparing for testing. There's a lot of stress that comes along with that as well. So basically we're building off of what we've done in the off season, um, which I'll talk about. But when we look at in season, the majority of the focus should be on, as I mentioned, that stress resilience piece. So recovery is incredibly important. How do we bounce back for the next training session, the next game, the next competition? Um, performance-based foods, so things that are going to help you perform. So whether that's looking at, you know, the basics of carbohydrates and why that's important for high-intensity activity. Um, Carbohydrates are a performance food. And then we can get fancier and look at things like beet juice and tart cherry juice that help you, you know, get Mm -hmm. to those higher levels of of, um, performance. And and like I said, that that performance-based sexy stuff that we love. So that's what we're going to focus on in-season. But at the same time, we're managing things like injury and um, dealing with, you know, the demands of an athlete throughout the the season. So um, a lot of it is, you know, mental performance as well. So dealing with the stressors of that. Um, A lot of my protocols will include not only nutrition, but recovery Mm -hmm. in general. So how to, you know, unwind. And I have actually a, you know, a system that I go through with players for post game. So how do we unwind, which you know, it comes down to <laughs> getting your nervous system from basically sympathetic at night, which it does not want to be doing. If we look at just the natural progression of our um, psych- our circadian rhythm throughout the day, essentially our cortisol should be dropping off in the evening. And with exercise and especially high intensity exercise at 7, 8, 9 p.m. at night that athletes are doing, they're in sympathetic overdrive. So what does that mean? Well, they're in a very high stress state because, you know, they need to react. They need their blood flow. They need blood to their muscles. They need to perform at that time. So it's kind of going against what your body wants to be doing at that time. So what I do with them is really get them to do, you know, a down regulation routine after the game. And I'm sure you do this, Connor, but it's different for everybody. But like, how do we take our system from here to like, somewhere where you can sleep and actually recover for the next day. <laughs> well, here, I, I, I want to interrupt because like as an athlete, you might wonder like, oh, what is sympathetic versus parasympathetic? What does that, yeah. what does that mean? Right. So, you know, parasympathetic, imagine uh, you're on vacation and the most difficult choice coming on uh, your day is like what pool chair to choose. You know, you're, you're reading fiction. It, it's a slow day. 
you know, you order food by the pool. You don't necessarily care when it comes. It might take 10 minutes. It might take 20. Um, you know, last night was a great example. We had a very intense game, uh, you know, played back to back night. So, you know, a little worked up and, uh, I, w- I w- had a steak after the game. And I mean, I was chewing this thing at like, you know, 50 chews a minute, just chop, like just, and then I drink my water and I'd slam my water, you know, trying to chug it. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, if you're doing this, you know, athletes out there, if you're eating this way and drinking water this way, you might still be trying to be in a state of like dominate and compete when, you know, sleep, uh, will, you know, try to be on your horizon in the next half hour, hour or so. Um, and, and these can be some physical tells of, you know, subconsciously where your nervous system's at. Yeah, absolutely. And so, yeah, when it comes to that, like, like you said, it's not going to be perfect and you're not going to completely downregulate your system after a game because like, there's a lot of adrenaline still in your system. There's a lot going on and it's not like, Hey, I'm ready for bed right away. So there's things that you can do. Um, this is different for everyone, but I love breathing protocols for downregulating your, your nervous system. So there's a lot of different protocols out there box breathing, feet up the wall, belly breathing, whatever it is that works for you as an individual. Um, I think that's a great way. And then you can use nutrition. So like you just mentioned the steak, like that's like every (laughs) go-to, every athlete's go-to, you know, post-workout or post-game meal. Um, Steakhouses are a huge hit in the (laughs) the NHL. So, um, so it's just about, you know, kind of getting, okay, if I can like eat a little bit less, like, you know, and have a huge breakfast in the morning to kind of make up for that energy deficit. Um, that might be a better strategy. Again, that doesn't work for everybody. They, they're starving. They need to eat. Um, you know, having something even like a protein shake right afterwards um, and some recovery-based foods, like even like things like tart cherry juice, um, those things can help. Um, some supplementation as well, if that's necessary. So things like magnesium, and I, I do love the sleep complex with DFS yep. um, as a as like especially post game on the road um, because it has amazing down regulation um, herbs in it. Things like GABA and valerian root and, and magnesium and L-theanine. So there's some great things in there, um, but again, it has to kind of come with the whole wind down routine. So. Um, in doing so, I kind of recommend a list of things that they could do. And it's kind of like an a la carte, you know, okay, I can, I'm not going to take like, um, you know, a bath or a cold shower or whatever it is, but I will do, you know, my feet up the wall for five minutes mm-hmm. and have, you know, a recovery shake and eat a smaller meal. <laughs> so some of those things might work. And so it's, it's about providing the athlete with the information of in season, like, okay, this is how I deal with the amount of stress that's on my system. And then injury protocol, I have a three-phase injury protocol that I send to my athletes. It depends on the injury um, and the person, but typically if we're talking about just general, your body goes through a state of inflammation. You you just went through all of Mm -hmm. this, so it'll be news for you, but it goes through a state of inflammation in the beginning where that that process is actually very necessary for your healing. So you don't necessarily want to shunt everything from an inflammation perspective right away. Um, sometimes it's a couple of days, sometimes it's, you know, a week where you want to let your body adjust to, to healing from that. And then you can do more anti-inflammatory uh, protocols when it comes to nutrition. Um, so that first phase is really important to you know, kind of pay attention to your body, you know, what it, what it takes to heal, um, adjusting your energy intake a bit. So because you're not as active in that first phase, especially you're probably sitting down way more than you would be. Um, you might want to adjust your energy expenditure and your intake a bit. So that would mean, you know, 
maybe eating a little less calories. This is different in other phases. So it doesn't mean throughout your whole healing process, you're actually going to be in a deficit. I do not recommend that um, because your body actually needs a lot of calories to heal. So when we get into the second phase, um, it's basically like remodeling and proliferation. So what does that mean? Well, there's a lot of blood flow going to the body. So we need to increase you know, our, our food, our protein, particularly because it's working on tissue repair. So this is about delivering, you know, fresh blood to the system, a lot of high cellular activity. So we need like a lot of nutrients at this time. So whether it's like high poly polyphenol foods, so that would be, you know, berries and broccoli and pumpkin seeds and a bunch of foods that are going to support that process. Um, and then you want to increase your carbohydrates based on your energy demand. So mm -hmm. That might mean, you know, if you start to, to work out more in that second phase and you're cleared for some activity, that you increase your carbohydrates, you increase your energy so that your body has those, those nutrients to heal. And then the last phase is really, you know, getting back to game ready position. And you just talked about this as well, but getting ready for that game time. So this could mean, um, again, keeping your protein consistent. So for injury, I, I typically recommend two grams per kilogram um, at least. So sometimes up to two uh, for protein because there's so much tissue repair going on um, in those second two phases that you really want to focus on, okay, how do I support that that uh, process? Um, and like I said, blood flow is huge. So it might be more nitric oxide foods. So things like Swiss chard and beets and, and dark berries and, and those foods. Um, and then, like I said, the return to activity is where you might need some like energy support. So maybe something like creatine to get you back into um, those high intensity situations and supporting return to play. Um, every injury is different and every person is different. But those are typically the three phases you want to go through where you're ramping up your calories as you go through. You're ramping or you're keeping your protein consistent. You're ba balancing um, anabolic and catabolic reactions. So when your body's injured, it's breaking down a lot. So that's why you need to, to keep your protein high and a bunch of food um, and nutrients to help with that process. And then as you get ready to return to play, that's really when you want to focus on, okay, I need more energy. I need to match those you know calories that I would be using when I train and when I skate and when I and playing games. So you have to match that as much as possible. And, you know, again, like I said, every injury is different. Something like a concussion is like very multifaceted. So you might even do things like a very low carbohydrate diet and ketogenic diet for that based on some new research that's coming out that's very exciting on that. So again, it just depends on the situation and what the individual is, you know, kind of willing to do in those situations. But injury protocols are, are incredibly important. Um, when it comes to nutrition and kind of going through those different phases. Um, so I know that that was a big aside, but I did want to touch on the injury stuff. Yeah. Um, so then if we look at like kind of that in between postseason to in season or sorry, off season, post season is really like, you know, I, I use it as a time for athletes to downregulate, like, you know, spend some time with the family, go on vacation if they need to. I don't, love, you know, the, the, the kind of heavy drinking and all that stuff that might come along with Thought that. that was but, come up. At, yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, athletes are humans too, and people forget that. And so it's like, you know, if, if they are going to be doing those things, it's to really support 
a lot of, you know, a lot of what they're doing through nutrition and, and kind of mitigating that as much as possible through hydration and some lighter activity and those types of things. So, um, so postseason, it's about a lot of that, like dealing with nagging injuries, going through the, the injury protocol that we just talked about, um, preparing your body for the off-season training. So a lot of the time in that postseason, kind of like early days when their activity isn't as high, I'll do things like a gut protocol. So the reason that I do this is, you know, like the things we just talked about in season meals out, you know, high stress demands, lack of sleep. Like when I get athletes, it's always like damage control at the beginning of the the off season. So it's dealing with those and helping with that process of like, okay, how do we prepare your body for hypertrophy and strength and all these, the, the major things that you want to get out of the off season training, that prep phase is so important. And a lot of the time, it does include, like like I said, gastrointestinal support, um, nagging injury support. So what can we do to help with that process? Um, if your GI health is not good and you're trying to go into a hypertrophy phase, it will be a massive fail for you. <laughs> so I've learned this, you know, time and time again. It's like an athlete comes to me, I can't gain weight. You know, this is happening. And I'm like, okay, well, like, you know, how are your bowel movements? And we talk about that and like, Maybe I do some GI testing with them and they don't even have some of the basics down with GI health. So that could be chewing their food 50 times, as you just mentioned, Um, you know, slowing down when they're eating, taking some breaths um, and like not chugging a ton of water (laughs) with their meal. So things like that, where it's getting the basics down diversity with their their diet so um gi diversity is really important so are they getting enough fiber are they getting things like resistant starch um to support their microbiome so we look at all of those as a foundational prepping them for what they're doing in the bulk of the off season and then the off season is really about matching your nutrition with your training goals so whether that's strength hypertrophy body composition those are the most common ones um your nutrition has to match that. So, you know, with hypertrophy, for example, gaining muscle mass, that's going to be very specific to the person um, and getting them, you know, calculating a little bit of how much they would have to eat, what their protein is intake is, what their other nutrients to support um, hypertrophy. So things like vitamin D and zinc and hormone support are huge when you're trying to put on muscle mass. So those things I would do in that phase for body composition, there's so many interventions out there. We wouldn't just go on a fasting <laughs> fasting diet or, or keto. It would really be looking at, okay, how do we maintain your lean muscle mass and then also help with the fat loss process? So that could be adjusting macronutrients a bit. It could be focusing on nutrients that they're not getting. It could be optimizing their hormones. Um, it could be, you know, just general support when it comes to foundational stuff like sleep and um and uh, stress resilience so if an athlete's very stressed their body composition will not you know change because their body is holding on to that fat weight because it's under stress and it's that's what it needs at that time so those are some basics of what we would do and then as we prepare for in season it's you know have we done everything we can to you know be in a position where your body is healthy and able to sustain the amount of stress that you have. So it's really about nailing in those foundations, having, you know, the uh, strategies to deal with the amount of stress that they have. So in training camp, um, ways that they can downregulate their system, prepare for testing, uh, and, and just be the healthiest versions of themselves going into season. 
That was a lot I just said, but <laughs> that's okay. Well, I mean, it, it's a, it's a complicated process that is best executed through simple measures, right? And handling some of these big rocks, uh, you, you know, day in, day out, month in, month out, year in, year out. I think what you're highlighting a little bit is just how difficult it is to cram for the test. Also, I know a lot of athletes, uh, you know, teammates, guys I've worked out with where uh, maybe they did not address their body composition goals from, you know, June, July. Now it's August, late August. They're on the ice. You know, it was two times a week in May. Now they're on the ice six times a week in August. Uh, they're not eating to support nervous system execution and, and growth, you know, towards a, a game ready form. Uh, they're crash dieting, frankly, and they are limping, you know, towards the off season or the postseason's finish line into training camp and then can't figure out why day three groins hurt, shoulders hurt. They're not sharp. They're not sleeping well. Um, their body's in survival mode. You cannot cram for the test. I think, you know, in a lot of ways, your answer covers on why use a professional, right? There is a lot of great nutrition information available. Uh, if you follow, you know, sort of the 90 second nutrition talk at the beginning of our podcast, you can go a long way that will carry you most days and most circumstances. But I mean, when you're a, a high level athlete, when you're Steven Stamkos, when you're Connor McDavid and you know, you have an injury, let's make one up a, a shoulder separation, heaven forbid, you know, either of those guys get hurt. Um, if you come back 10 days sooner or later in a playoff round, that matters massively for themselves and their organizations and, and what their goals are. Right. So might be a great opportunity to consult a professional. Um, you know, uh, when kids, your, your brain is developing so quickly, you're 16, 19, 20, 25, and you do have a concussion. Um, you know, the, the dark room all day to just stay home and, and do nothing and, and isolate the athlete. Like these are behaviors that might cause poor sleep and, and an inability to heal properly might cause uh, depressive episodes, right. From the lack of light, um, and isolation, which leads to sometimes emotional eating and, you know, uh, uh, you know, overeating leading to, you know, weight gain and, and further brain inflammation. Right. So I think that if anything, it highlights, you know, there are strategies to be used based on the context, which there's always context, both circumstantial in terms of, you know, what life is presenting as well as individual to the person. Um, and so it's, it's, it's always this teeter tottering, right? It's, it's always thinking on, you know, two levels and, and you, this is a responsibility of being an athlete. How can I feel my best tomorrow for the game? How can I, you know, for example, I just played uh Friday, Saturday on Thursday night. I was on a phone call with, you know, a good friend of mine, uh, James Van Riemsdyk to name drop having this conversation. What's your summer plan? You know, who are you talking to? Who are you consulting? Um, because as an athlete, you are projecting out, you are, you know, always, uh, you know, sort of focused on the battle of tomorrow, but planning for the war, you know, still to come. And, and, um, that's kind of the fun of it, you know, and, and when you are obsessed and passionate about what you do, uh, this stuff energizes people like you and I and James and other clients that you have. Absolutely. Yeah. It's so, so, so important. And 
like you said, like I work with professionals. Um, I am a professional in certain, but there's certain things that I can't figure out all the time. And um, I think building a team of people um, is so important to have around because like you, not one person is going to have every single answer. And I'm sure you've been through this, even with injuries where you want to get a second opinion and yep. you know, you know, your body best. So it's like, you can get opinions and go to different people, but it's, you know, building a, a team of people as an athlete, as a person in general. Um, Tony Robbins just wrote an excellent book about this process. I don't know if you've read it yet, no. but um, I'm glad it's becoming more mainstream to talk about taking health into your own hands and performance into your own hands. And Gary says this all the time, like nobody's going to do it for you. Um, yeah. You know, you have to take responsibility. Like they're not always going to offer the best things in the, in the, you know, even NHL rooms for food. <laughs> if you know, like people think that they're, they're offering that, like that's not always going to happen. No. Um, so, you know, taking, taking things into their, to your own hands is incredibly important um, and working with professionals and, and getting a wide range of people who are good at different things to, to support you. Um, like I said, this goes for athletes. I promote this with my non-athlete clients. I say, have a chiropractor, have a massage therapist, have an acupuncturist, see someone for mental performance. All of that stuff is incredibly important um, to, to build the whole system. Um, not just, you know, okay, let's, let's deal with the aftermath. Once something goes wrong, it's all about preventative, uh, measures that you can do. Um, and then things are going to go wrong. Like you're an athlete, you're going to get injured. That happens, you know? So it's like, who are your go-to people when that does happen? And, you know, what can you do as an athlete to take control? If you don't love the answers you're getting from your team or whoever, um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a process and it's so important to like, not try to do everything on your own for sure. Well, you, you want to educate as a consumer and as a, a, a the sole proprietor of, you know, your brand, your business as an athlete. Uh, but at the same time, like I am a lot of PubMed articles away from knowing, you know, what you know. Right. And so your professional, and that, that extends from my strength coach, uh, some of the skills coaches I use, uh, you know, the mental performance coaches I use uh, and the coaches that you use in your life should always be able to empower you. Right. And, and make shed clarity or share clarity on what the next small available step is. Right. So if you are a 16 year old kid and you've never heard of intermittent fasting, you've never heard of the ketogenic diet and you have no idea what a gut healing protocol is, you know, let's refer back to the whole foods and, and start to build that pyramid. There was a time in my life where a salad for lunch was punishment. Like if it was green, I had no interest. You know, my idea of a vegetable growing up was a cheese potato, you know, um, which were fantastic and, uh, you <laughs> know, and, and phenomenal. Um, you know, I grew up on cereal for breakfast and my, and my mom and dad were doing the best that they could within our familial structure, sure. within our financial structure. Um, you know, but step-by-step step, you educate, you implement, you screw it up. You kind of, you, you start over, as an athlete, you continuously climb the ladder is, you know, higher and higher end professionals will present themselves uh, as you learn more and more and, and you have better questions to ask you know, the right kind of if you go looking like the right, you know, mentor or teacher will kind of find you. I've I've been able to to discover in my own, um, you know, career. And and I, I do want to finish off with some of the sexy stuff just because it's fun. We are both uh, designs for sport advisory members. I uh, by way of Adrian's recommendation, really uh, met the team with Designs for Sport. 
uh, NSF is everything as athletes. I always thought, you know, there's really no drug or supplement that's worth 20 games to me. Um, you know, nothing can create a, you know, 25% bump in salary the way that a 25% decrease can happen with a, a positive test. So that was always important. Uh, some of my go-tos, uh, I personally could not believe how far off of my protein goals I oftentimes was. Uh, the beef proteins, fantastic for me, you know, high in collagen, glutamine, glycine, good for the gut healing uh, properties. Uh, that's probably my number one supplement. I use the hydration complex quite a bit because of the vitamin C and I'm a heavy sweater. So, you know, na- and it tastes good. So naturally I, I need the electrolytes. Mm. Um, and three would probably be something simple like a fish oil. I'm not a big, you know, my wife doesn't eat fish, so we don't cook it a lot at home. On the road, it's hard to find the wild caught stuff. So I generally stick to meat and just supplement. Um, but what are, what do you have to say about, I mean, whatever you want to cover favorite supplements, uh, do you use, you know, I've always been curious about CBD. Uh, do you care about adaptogens? Like there's a lot of noise at that, in that top little part of the pyramid, which is why it gets so much attention. Um, you know, but what, what's kind of been your favorite topics to in, in research and in implementing with your athletes? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I love talking about supplements. So, um, and I can't be a sports nutritionist without talking about Mm -hmm. supplements, but, um, yeah, I have like my foundational ones, which are protein powder, um, omegas, magnesium. I I love like just a general multi or things like the mito energy, which Mm -hmm. is, you know, a little bit more energy support and mitochondrial health. So that could be used as a, as a multivitamin, um, or like a greens powder that someone likes if they're like, Hey, I just not into taking all the pills and they want to do, you know, greens powder. I'm down with that as well. You can talk about them being overrated, whatever, but if they're getting some extra nutrients, I say, go ahead. Um, so those are sort of like my go-tos and then I'll use, I'll use things like gut supporting, uh, uh, foods, food or uh, supplements. So things like, uh, digestive enzymes and, and, um, probiotics and those types of things when necessary. Um, I do love the, like any brain support for athletes, especially hockey players. So I love the GPC liquid. Um, that's, that's a big one. How often uh, How often do you like using that one? I usually tell, um, in my protocols for hockey players, I, I don't use it every single day. I'll use it. Like I had it before this podcast. Um, I, I love it for game day, um, for athletes. I think that's like important, anything that you can do to support your brain health mm-hmm. when you're going into physical, um, physical sport, like yeah. hockey. <laughs> um, so I do like it in those situations. Um, I love like the, the beef protein. I find that it's a better option for, uh, people who do have the gastrointestinal issues with whey. I was one of those people. I like pounded whey in university and then was like, hmm, this doesn't seem to be going over too well. And it definitely wasn't the best quality back then for sure. Um, but those are sort of my go-to. So like foundational supplements, I'll start with those. And then I, I do something called targeted supplementation, which essentially just means I'm targeting the supplement towards the phase of training that mm-hmm. they're in. Um, and then also the situation of what they would do. So if we're doing a gut health protocol, we'll, we'll do, you know, some extra gut support. If we're doing, you know, immune system support, we'll do some, oh, vitamin D I didn't mention is one of my, one of my foundational ones too. Um, and then the electrolytes for athletes. I, I do love electrolyte synergy um, for heavy sweaters. I know you've talked about element too, and we're talking about another supplement, so but I, I'm just very transparent with everything that I do. So um, 
So some of some of those, uh, you know, foundational ones for athletes, like looking at looking at what they might need and then also their compliance. So like, are they going to take it every day? Um, do they like powders as opposed to to pills? Like there's a lot of things to consider when it comes to the individual, but supplements are meant for athletes because you just, you use so many more nutrients as an athlete. Um, you know, you build up way more oxidative stress, which means more, you know, cellular stress on your system because of the amount of exercise that you're doing. So you need more antioxidants in your diet and you might need some extra vitamin C and immune support because you're breaking those things down and the body can only be under so much stress before it starts compensating. So, um, so yeah, those are some of my go-tos. And then I do love creatine for athletes. That's my favorite, it's the yeah. most well-studied. What's that? I, I take creatine daily. Yeah. It's the most well-studied sports supplement. It's like, and the thing is, is that people are so scared of it because it's gotten some bad <laughs> reps in the past, so like just in terms of research, but all that has been debunked up to this point in terms of like a lot of its negative, um, negative connotations, but it's also not just for athletes. Like even just like for example, during pregnancy, like women can have a lot of benefits from taking it at that stage in their life. Um, you know, female athletes as well benefit from it, but also like elderly people can benefit from taking creatine. So creatine is definitely a go-to for me. Um, and then things like, you know, nitric oxide or extra support from that perspective. If they're going through an injury, I'll do additional things like maybe some enzymes to help support the recovery. Um, and it really, like, like I said, it really just depends, but those are sort of my foundational ones that I go to. And then, like I said, if, if an athlete is eating all the right things, doing the foundationals, we'll talk about adding in some supplements if they're, they're into it. I always say have like, have them on hand in your supplement drawer, just in case you go through these different phases, you don't need to take them all the time every day. Um, aside from some of the foundational ones that you might not be getting in your diet, um, but have those like go-to ones if you can, and it's doable for your, for your financial situation and, and, uh, and that type of thing. Yeah. I always kind of like cycle accidentally on purpose where I'll go on the road and like forget them for a couple of days or, um, you know, my philosophy a lot around supplements is, you know, if our, uh, soil depletion necessarily wasn't a thing, uh, if I was not training, you know, let's say I'm in the gym or on the ice three hours a day, five, six days a week, that's 15 to 18 hours. Uh, maybe a, a paleo diet would work, but I, I don't think, you know, cavemen were working out 18 hours, you know, a week in the uh, intensity zones that we are. And, and that was kind of the first time I ever heard, um, you know, someone challenge that diet in a way that made logical sense to me. Uh, what are some of the supplement uh, boo-boos that you advise your clients to stay away from. Um, I understand they can be tricky and, and definitely financially, uh, you know, costly, uh, for, you know, many people, um, you know, so we want to steer people in the right direction. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the biggest one for athletes, as we talked about, is like, it has to be NSF for sports certified or informed choice, depending on your sport, um, and what's regulated. Um, but it absolutely has to be third party tested. What that means is basically what they say is in it is actually in it. Um, the supplement industry in general is not regulated. What that means is that 
it literally could be, you know, anything in any supplements. And when they test them, there's some surprising things that, that pop up sometimes. So the number one thing for athletes is to always be educated on, you know, choosing the quality supplements first. Um, and that limits your your options. And so you're not going to be able to take every supplement that you've heard about because it will not be on that list. Um, and so, you know, even stuff with hormonal support, um, we'll talk about adaptogens. Actually, a lot of adaptogens are not NSF certified for sport because anything that you're doing to adjust your hormones, um, which is very, <laughs> very uh, tricky with athletes because they get tested, obviously, with their and anything that could alter that. Um, can be can show up on on tests. So it's important to be really informed about what's safe and what's not safe. Um, I do there is a, a product by designs for sport that I like, especially because you guys go through so much stress. So it's called adrenal flow. It does have some adaptogens, mm -hmm. it has some magnesium B, B vitamin support. So anything that can support the amount of stress that you have, absolutely. It's not something I think they need to take all the time, um, but for certain situations like playoffs, for example, it's probably good to have a little bit of like an extra um, support with that. But like I said, a lot of that stuff isn't supported under NSF certified for sports. So you have to, you know, look into that first. Um, and then the other big boo-boos are like, or like no-nos are, you know, to, to not just follow trends. Um, you know, there's so many claims out there when it comes to sports, uh, sports supplements, any supplements in general. And like anything that's making these massive claims about what they're going to do for you is probably BS. Like if they're like, you know, lose, lose this much fat or like this, like a lot of that is not supported by research yeah. and they're, you know, unfortunately, like I said, it's not regulated, so they can say whatever they want to say. Um, so that's why not following trends and then always just having like, okay, what is the goal of taking this? And does it make sense for me as an individual? Um, although, you know, things like NAC are great and they're, you know, it can be really good for, for athletes to take. Is it necessary for all the time? Well, you'd have to look at that as an individual. So mm -hmm. it just, um, and that's like, you know, I just mentioned like the Tony Robbins book, like looking at all of the supplements and it's like, oh, I'm going to take all these longevity supplements. It's like, yeah, longevity is incredibly important, but as an athlete, you also have performance. So it's like, how do you blend those two? Um, and it's very difficult to do as an athlete because like I said, the amount of stress that you're under. So context is everything. I know I've said that a million times, but um, look out for those like crazy trends and just following something because you heard it on social media or, or wherever. Yeah. Mentor of mine, we were talking about training and, and trying to be on the cutting edge and thinking outside the box. And, you know, he kind of warned, he's like, Hey man, you know, be careful. Sometimes when you're on the cutting edge, you get cut. And, uh, you know, when, when, when it's tried and true, it can sound boring, but, um, you know, maybe the powers and consistency and execution where others, you know, fall off the wagon and, and you can separate yourself that way. Um, so this was a lot of fun. I want to be respectful of your time, respect, respectful of your Sunday. I, uh, I really appreciate your expertise and, and uh, thank you for today's conversation. Yeah. Thank you, Connor. Thank you for having me. I know I could talk about this stuff forever. So hopefully uh, your audience will get something out of it. They, they will. And, and where can they find more of you if they want to reach out for any particular questions? I know uh, a lot of, you know, of our audience and, and my following, you know, will ask me and things like that. And while I try to be an educated consumer, I, uh, generally try to refer to the professionals. So. Yeah, absolutely. So I do, um, from social media perspective, I hang out on, um, Instagram a lot. So you can send me a message on there. I also, um, you can find me through Gary Roberts performance. So all of the fuel stuff is under that, 
um, comes directly to me. Uh, and then my email as well, I'll give it out. It's info at sylviatacher.com. And so if you just have a question, you want to email me as well. Um, yeah, that's where you, you would find out. Awesome. Thank you, Sel. Have a great uh, rest of your day and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you.